Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our series, Glory. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with this week's message. I think my favorite part of the video is the, uh, is the guy with the bag of marshmallows and the cup. He's just like, yeah, man, Merry Christmas. All right. Hey, we want, we want to see you, your friends, your families here next Sunday for our pre-Christmas Eve uh, worship experience. We've got, uh, most of you probably this week received a postcard uh, as our way of making sure that you remember. You can put that on your refrigerator. If you know that it's on like your Google calendar and you're not going to forget and, and your iPhone's got 17 reminders uh, all week reminding you to be here, you might want to pass that out to, to a neighbor or a friend, but... If you don't want to do that, that's cool, because when you leave today, you're going to get a stack of those to hand out, because we want as many people as possible uh, to hear the message of Jesus Christ this Christmas, um, simply straightforward, the gospel of Jesus presented so that your loved ones and friends and families, and maybe even people that you don't like, look, if there's somebody in your life that you don't like, you need to get them here, because Jesus can change their life, and then there'll be somebody that you do like, right? Right? So even, even people that get on your nerves, you know, Jesus does transformation in people's lives every day. They get on your nerves, you bring them to church, Jesus saves them, and then all of a sudden, they're like your best friend. So it's great. We're changing the world. Uh, I want to invite you. My name is Pastor Josh, by the way. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church, and I am excited about what we're going to uh, look at today and discuss and study. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let me encourage you, go ahead and open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off going through uh, these two chapters, chapters 3 and 4. Um, Today, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The passage of the Scripture, they're going to be on the screen behind me. Also, when you came in, you received a program. If you'll flip that over on the back, uh, the Scriptures are printed out there for you. In addition to all of that, if you have a smartphone or a tablet with you, um, there's an app called YouVersion. It's the Bible app. If you download that, uh, there's a little link in there called Live, and you do a search for the word vertical, and you'll find the Scriptures there. So we want to make sure that whatever format you use, paper, book, uh, phone, whatever, you don't want to do any of that. You just want to stare at the screen. That's cool too. We want to make sure that you're aware of what the scriptures are. So uh, we'll do that. While those of you that have your Bibles are turning, um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, a preacher that, that just uh, is, is one of those uh, fathers of the faith that, that when you uh, study preaching or you study the history of the Christian church, you, you read about this person, just a, a, a great um, gospel uh, proclaimer said about the passage that we're going to read today. He called it the Mount Everest of texts. And I don't remember the exact quote, but it goes something like, he, when, when he read this, he felt like a, a, a little child who does not have the vocabulary needed to explain what he saw in the passage that we're going to read today together. And so it's really just incredibly, incredibly beautiful. I hope that you uh, buckle up in your seats because this is going to be uh, fun and and I believe God's going to uh, open our eyes to something new and something fresh this morning. So uh, I'm going to take off. I'm going to start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll stop at verse 6. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, 
In other words, in light of everything that I just said in chapter 3. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God, which is something that every preacher, hopefully, if they love Jesus, they aspire to. We don't use deception. We don't distort the truth of God that's found in Scripture. We're not trying to, trying to cover up something here. He says, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what we try to do here at Vertical Church. We try to just say, hey, here's the plain truth. Is Jesus, is what he's done for you. He's what, here's what he wants to do in you. You want to accept it. And we just, here it is, you decide. Verse three, and even if our goal, or even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there are people who cannot see this light. What is the light? The light is the gospel of the glory of Christ. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not up here trying to tell you about myself, what I think, what I, what I want for your life. And ourselves, we preach ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And here's verse 6. Verse 6, every week we've had a, a glory verse, something that we said, man, if you are going to memorize a scripture, if you're going to underline something and, and pin it up on your refrigerator to, to commit it to memory, this is the one you want to do. And here it is, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And, and you might want to even underline, star, highlight this phrase. In the face of Christ. Would you join me and let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we are here because of you. We're here because of what you've done in us. What you've done for us. What you're doing through us. We're here to celebrate you. We're here to make much of your person, of your presence, of your grace. We pray, Lord, over the, over the few remaining minutes that we have here together today, that something that is said or, or read or, or something that you speak deep inside of our hearts, Lord, that it would transform us so that we might see you, Jesus, as you truly are and not as we imagine you to be. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. My mom had this look. Anybody else, can anybody else agree with me that your parent had a look? And when you saw that look, you knew that you were in trouble. Does anybody else have that experience? My, my mom or dad, if you're a teenager in the place, you may not want to raise your hand. Because you don't want to give them the knowledge that they you're communicated to appropriately. But can anybody maybe over the age of 20 say, man, my parents, my mom or dad had a look. And when I saw it, I knew that I was toast. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody testify to that? Yeah. My mom had this look. And, and oftentimes this look came from the choir loft of the Crawley Creek Church of God in West Virginia. 
church was literally on the side of the road. It's actually between the road and the creek, which was Crawley Creek. Hence the name, Crawley Creek Church. And in the choir loft, I would be sitting in the pew or sometimes laying under the pew, depending on how rowdy I was at that moment, crawling under the pew sometimes, army crawling. And I would pop up and my mom would be, I could see it now. If I close my eyes, I could point and I'd be like, there she is. Um, on the, my right side, up in the top, my mom would be standing there. And anytime that I was acting up, if I made eye contact with her, I got the look. And what the look said, and maybe this is what the look said from your parents, because this is what the look said from my mom. The look said, boy, when I get you home, I am going to lay hands on you. And I'm going to minister to you, son. And you're never going to be the same. It was terrifying. And I would be sitting there. And once I received the look, I would be sitting there in the pew just thinking, dear Lord, can we just get it over with? I, this, is, this is torture. I'm sitting here knowing that when I get home, I'm going to be in pain. Can we just, mom, can you just come out of the choir loft and take me out on the steps and let's just get this thing over with? The, the waiting is, is just torture. And so, you know, the singing would be finished and, and then you have to wait through the sermon. You got to sit there with your parent beside of you the whole time and, and you know, you know, you're just going to get destroyed when you get home. I would sit there and I would try to send mental uh, communication to my pastor. Pastor Mike, you got to know something about this person that's sitting in your congregation, pastor. You have a killer with you. She is going to destroy me. Can I communicate this to you, pastor? He never got it. Never once. It never, ever, ever worked. I mean, I would sit there and I would lose my appetite. I wouldn't be, you know, a lot of times when you get home, when I was growing up, we went to Sunday morning and Sunday night, and sometimes Sunday night would last really long, um, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so you might be a little hungry. Well, I'm not hungry when I get the look. I, I just want to go home and go to bed. I don't, I don't need food. I don't need a sandwich. I don't need a drink. I will go to bed straight away. Just terrible, awful, emotional, you know, oh, just awful. Because the look said it all, right? If your parent had the look, your mom or dad, or maybe it was your grandma had the look, or your grandpa had the look, the look said everything you needed to know. Why is that? Why is it that, that the look says more than mere words could ever conjure up. And here's, here's what I believe. And if you're taking notes on the back of your program, this is the first fill in the blank. Here's what I believe. I believe countenance is a powerful thing. Countenance is powerful. And it can communicate anger, but it can also communicate approval and love. And there's, there's nothing like the expression of a parent, of a mom or a dad, when they look at their kids with approval, with love, there's nothing as, as beautiful and as, as welcoming, as, as warming of your heart as, as seeing that look from your mom or dad. Because, because I believe the look is a, is, a, is a gift that God gives to parents. No, it's kind of like a spiritual gift, but I don't even think you got to know Jesus to get this gift. It's just the gift that God bestows upon parents. Look, you're going to have to deal with this for 18 years. Here you go. 
I'm going to gift you with this. It's going to help you out. And so the look can convey anger, but the look can also convey an amazing amount of love. Because countenance, countenance is even in many ways more powerful than words. It can trump words. Let me give you an example. I think, I think some things are, are easier caught than taught. And so I want to, to try this out. Okay. What if I would have come up, or, or, or Brian or, or, or Kelly would have come up, and we'd have said this. We'd have said, welcome to Vertical Church this morning. I'm just so happy that you're here. We love everybody here at Vertical Church, and we just want to welcome you with open arms. Now, how do you feel? The words that are coming out of my mouth, these are words of welcome. We love you. We want to wrap our arms around you. But the look on my face, like, why is he so mad at us? Man, somebody must have upset Pastor Josh this morning. He's mad, right? Why? Because of the look on my face. But what if, I, what if I said this? What if I come up and say, man, it's so good to see you this morning. I tell you what, if some of you would actually get to church on time, it might do you some good. Do you know that we have worship that starts off church and it's actually transforming. And if you'd show up on time, God might do something in your life. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Man, I, I feel like I should be offended, but I just feel so loved. Why? Because countenance, looks, facial expression communicates so much. And sometimes it trumps even words. You see, I, I have this, this, this theory that, that oftentimes in our lives, the devil is not our worst enemy. That oftentimes in our lives, we are our worst enemy enemy because I believe that a majority of believers and unbelievers alike struggle with a faulty impression of God's countenance, God's face. Most of us struggle with what does God's face look like when he looks at me. And sometimes it's justified. Sometimes many of us have dealt with abuse in our lives that has, has skewed the, the image of God. We, we've dealt with, we've dealt with uh, some kind of authority figure that, that did not treat us well. And it has, it has altered the way we see all authority figures. And, and oftentimes we look at God and we see a furrowed brow as if God is saying, What are you doing? Why do you always mess up? What's wrong with you? And, that, and we see his face and we look and we imagine what does God look like when he looks at me. And we see a, an angry scowl on his face as if he's angry. And, and this image undermines everything else that we try to take in. We can read scripture about how God loves us and he sent his son for us and he died for us. We can listen to, to, to preaching that, that encourages us, that says God is for you and not against you. We can get plugged in to a small group with other believers who are, who are pursuing this God. We can volunteer and give our time and our money. But when we see God as fickle as a flower, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. When our, when our view of his affection is based upon our performance or based upon our adherence to the rule book, then the word of God itself gets undermined by this faulty image of what does his face look like when he looks at me. 
And so others can tell us about God's love. Others can, can describe this, this beautiful thing, but countenance is a powerful thing. And it communicates so much. And we have this idea that, look, 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 I know what you're saying. I hear what you're telling me. But deep on the inside, I know what his face looks like. And when we imagine it, it looks like maybe an old coach that we could never be good enough for. Or it looks like a grandfather or a dad that that was abusive. Or it looks like a teacher that we could never measure up to their standard. Look, I know what you're telling me about God's love, but I also know what his face looks like. But what if we could establish here in this auditorium this morning what his face, what is God's expression towards us? What if we could finally establish here's what his face looks like when he looks at us? Well, I think that would be a game changer. I think that could, that could cause us to discover some kind of freedom in our lives. I think that could encourage us to pursue him in a different way. And so we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Paul's writing to Corinth, and we already established that Corinth is not a good place. It's a rough town. It's a rough place. It's not exactly the kind of place you want to raise a family in. And there are accusations going on in the town that that Paul is, is using the gospel for financial gain, or that he's distorting or, or uh twisting the word of God. And Paul says in those first four verses of chapter four, he says, look, I don't do that. I don't distort. I don't twist. I just, I just present it as plainly as I can read it and, and perceive it. And then in verse six, he says that God has caused this light, this divine sovereign revelation, this this revelation that has come directly from God. He says God has caused this light to shine and we see it, he says, in the face of Jesus Christ. He says says that if we look at his face, well, that word for face there in in the Greek is, is the same idea as the word countenance, facial expression. He says, in the countenance of Jesus Christ, we can see the glory of God. The essence of what makes God God is on the facial expression that Jesus has when he looks at us. Well, the idea of face is a really interesting metaphor. Throughout scripture, face is a metaphor, catch this, for judgment. And when Jesus is on the cross and he's standing there and he, he shouts out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in other words, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you turned away? Why have you turned your face away from me? Because scripture tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, took on the sin of the world. And so in that moment, when he is crying out in agony, God is turning his face away from Jesus. Because when the face is toward you, it's, it's approval and love. And when the face is away from you, it's judgment. 
in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, even the Old Testament talks about the face of God. Isaiah says this, but your iniquities have separated you from God, from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, the turning of the face away is indicative of judgment. When God's face is toward you, there is no judgment. When God's face is away from you, well, whether that's in eternity or whether that's right now, we call that hell. Hell is essentially God turning his face away. Turning his face away because when he turns from us, the only thing that we're left with is darkness and an absence of the presence of God. And so when Paul introduces the idea of the face of Jesus, there's this trigger in the Jewish mind that would say face is judgment. But the interesting thing is, is the face is not turned away. Because we can look at it. In fact, in Psalm 16, David prophesies. In verses 8 through 11, he is, he's you know, writing this song, this, this celebration about God. And, and he's prophesying. And I'll tell you why I believe he's prophesying here in just a minute. But in Psalm 16, verse 8, he says this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And I love this in verse 11. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. You may want to underline, circle, highlight the word presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Because in this reading, in the original language, the word presence, if we transliterate it, it's the word face. It's the word countenance. David is saying that in your face, God, there is fullness of joy. I believe David is I believe David's prophesying of an age to come because David's living in the Old Testament, the covenant of rules, because it's it's an era, an age of of following the, the law of God. And so if you are not adhering to the law in the appropriate manner, how can you say that in the face of God, there's fullness of joy? I think prophetically, he's he's telling us that that there's fullness of joy perpetually, that that God's countenance towards us is not fickle. It doesn't change. And here's the reason I believe, actually, that David is prophesying here, because I didn't come up with that. I'm not that bright. You have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 22. The Holy Spirit has just descended upon the church, and Peter is now standing up, and he's preaching the first sermon in the church. This is the first Word from God since the descent of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead 
freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and now Peter's about to quote what I just read in Psalm 16. David said this about him, about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me. Well, I, like I told you, I'm not that bright to say that, that David was prophesying. Peter said it. Peter said David was writing this, and, and he might have been writing about something else, but he was really writing this about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. Catch this. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Guess what word in the Greek language Peter uses, or Luke uses here to quote Peter, for the word presence. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, to identify the word face. In other words, Peter declares, you will fill me with joy in your face. In your face. In your countenance. What's going on? You see, the, the Jewish people had been living under this perpetual condemnation, this perpetual scowl, this perpetual image of God looking at them, this idea that God is saying, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And so Peter declares, brothers and sisters, it's a new day. It's a new day. In his countenance, in his face, there is fullness of joy. Why? Let me ask you a question. Why on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, the day that God is establishing this new activity, the launch of his new thing, why is he so concerned with people making sure that they're seeing his face the right way? Seems like God is preoccupied with making sure that you and I know what his face looks like. Numbers chapter 6, Moses is talking with God and God tells him, he says, hey, this is the blessing that I want my priest to de declare over my people. In verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Here's the blessing I want you to announce over my people. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God basically tells Moses, here's the blessing I want pronounced over my people. And verse 25 and 26 say basically the same thing. Most of the time in scripture, when you read something and it happens right after the other, it's for emphasis. In other words, God says, hey, I want the pastors to look at the people and say twice, God smiles on you with approval. God's face towards you is not angry. God's face towards you is a big smile. When he looks at you, he smiles. You see, I don't, I don't struggle with the idea of acceptance. I don't struggle with that. Legally, it makes sense to me. Because in my mind, I, I get it. We, we commit what, what in our language we might call crime against God. We sin. 
We do wrong. We do not hit the mark. We're, we're aiming and we don't hit it. We cry. You, you don't think about it. We break God's law. And God in his, in his godness forgives us. He, he makes it as if we were innocent, as if we did not break his law. I get that. I can comprehend that. Forgiveness in a, in a legal way of a pardon, if we were standing before a judge and the judge said, yes, what you did was stupid and wrong, but you are forgiven. I get that. I can grasp that. But what I can't grasp is when the judge looks at me and he's smiling. I can grasp acceptance, but I don't understand approval. I can grasp forgiveness, but I cannot understand love. I don't understand love. I can understand you're wrong and terrible and I forgive you, but I can't understand you're wrong and terrible. Why don't you come into my family? I want to love you. I don't, I don't understand how God can smile at me even when I sin. But Pastor Josh, God hates sin. He doesn't wink at sin. I agree. That's why I don't understand. God, hate, God hates sin so much that he sent his son to be born and be humiliated and brutalized. That's how much God hates sin. So how can he love me? How can he be approving of me? How can he smile at me when I do that? I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. I get it how he can say, okay, we'll just wipe this off. We'll just act like that didn't happen. But when he says, you know what? Why don't you come be a part of my family? I know that your sin is what caused Jesus to have to go to the cross and be brutalized and humiliated in front of everybody. But, but won't you just come into my family? I want to love you. I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand. But what I do know is that at the cross, your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, were taken care of. They were dealt with. And I know that God already knows the sin that you're going to commit in the future. And in his, in his sovereignty, his, his future grace has already made provision for that. I, I, I get that. All that junk has already been forgiven. And, and you and I, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I struggle with how do I stop? How do I, how do I stop sinning? And, and so often we fall into this faulty idea because we have a faulty image that, that we have to have an obsessive approach to rules. We have to obsess about our performance or our resume or how good or how high standard we can achieve. If, if we can raise up to, and get an A on the test or if we can just gain his approval by achieving and, and becoming successful. We, we, we think that that's how we stop sinning. But as I am reading this and I'm studying this, I'm, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that the power of God to stop sinning, to, to stop breaking God's law in our lives is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because when I look at his face, when I look at his face, I don't just see that I'm accepted and forgiven, but I also see that I'm loved 
and I'm approved of and that I'm brought into his family. When I look into his face, it motivates me to not continue doing that. Because every time I do, it reminds me that's why Jesus had to come. And when I see his face, you see the gospel, the, the, the good news, it doesn't just speak to our acceptance. It speaks to our approval. It doesn't just speak to our forgiveness. It speaks to our adoption into the family of God. You today are accepted and approved. You're accepted and approved. Accepted and approved. Would you just let that kind of sink in? You know, it's not just that you're accepted, but when God looks at you, he smiles. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've blown it. When he looks at you, he doesn't have a scowl on his face. Why is God so passionate about his children seeing his face? Because countenance is a powerful thing. Because countenance communicates so much. This past spring, my oldest son Lex was playing soccer. He was on a soccer team and we would show up at way too early on a Saturday morning for him to go out there and kick a ball around with, you know, 10 other kids and they're just all in one big group chasing this ball. And what I discovered really, really quickly is that, is that he's on the field and I'm not allowed on the field. His coach is on the field, but I'm not allowed to be out there. I have to be on the sideline. And he can't always hear me because he's around this group of 10 screaming kids as they're all chasing this ball around. What I discovered is that if he couldn't see my face, then how would he know that I was proud of what he was doing on the field? So I made it, a, made it intentional that I've got to, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to get caught up in a conversation with somebody else. I'm going to keep my face available so that anytime he needs to look up and wonder, Dad, how am I doing? Dad, am I doing good? I haven't scored a goal. Am I still doing good? You're doing great. You're doing great. Way to go, son. Why? Because countenance is a powerful thing. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is walking. He's actually on his way to a, a man named Jairus' house so that he can heal his daughter. And there's this woman who sneaks up behind him. And she, she is an unclean woman. She, is, she has this, this disease that is causing her to bleed and and according to the Mosaic law, she should be publicly shamed. She should be removed. She should be isolated. According to Mosaic law, this woman has no business in public. And so Jesus is walking and this woman sneaks up behind him. And she reaches out and grabs the back of Jesus' clothes. She approaches the backside of God. 
And she encounters God's glory in the form of divine healing. In a moment, in a, in a second, everything is done. She is, she is whole. Her, her disease has been healed because she encountered God's glory. But she encountered his glory from the back. Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. It's something that you and I have probably read dozens of times, but, but we don't consider the ramifications of what Jesus does. It says at the very beginning of the verse, it says, Jesus turned. He turned. He, he stops what he's doing and he turns around to look at her because he will not allow her to receive a blessing from his backside. He wants her to behold the glory of God in his face. But this woman is illegal. She's unclean. She's not right. And Jesus stands and turns face to face with the lawbreaker. And the words that come out of his mouth cannot be said with a scowl. He looks at this woman who has just broken the law. She has committed crime against God. And he says, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. What if that expression was the permanent expression on God's face when you look at him? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I love you. I approve of you. I accept you. I want to bring you into my family. God turns his face from Jesus on the cross. And I believe in so doing, he turns his face towards you and me. And the permanent expression on his face is not a scowl. It's an expression of love. You see, forgiveness and love, acceptance and approval, it's a package deal. You can't get one without the other. It's not like you get acceptance and then you have to work to be approved by God. It all comes together. What I discovered this week is that the good news is better than I thought. The good news is gooder than I'd always been taught. He loves us. It doesn't make sense and I can't grasp it. But when I look at his face, it's not a scowl. It's an expression of love. And we call that glory. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.